Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. We're back, the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, Neil Haley. And you know what? I just, uh, this is probably my biggest boxer I've ever had on the program because I've really not had many boxers, but I consider him one of my all-time favorites. And we, we were talking off air about boxing and how, in the 80s, how popular it was. Growing up, I remember watching boxing and wrestling. Wrestling. Both sports were ma- more mainstream in certain ways, and you could the characters were fantastic. It was so interesting. So to have this uh, guest on the program and to know that he's gone back to his hometown that's near Pittsburgh, I love it. So I want to welcome the program, Ray Boom Boom Mancini, former WBA lightweight champion, international boxing Hall of Fame. Ray, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, good, buddy, good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely, Ray. And I, I think growing up in Youngstown, did you ever think you were going to be this big of a boxer when you first started? For sure. I mean, no, I, I don't think anybody goes into thinking, I want to be a star. Uh, all I want to be was champion. Now, once you win a world championship, you don't know, I didn't at that time, under, or understand the magnitude of what that means. But once you become world champion, it is, it's exactly that. You know, in the, in the amateurs here, the local amateurs uh, in Youngstown, uh, I had I gotten some acclaim, you know, and I, I became a popular uh, amateur fighter here in the area. And my whole dream was to, you know, turn pro, and I, I wanted to move to New York like my father did and win the world title for him. But, you know, so I went to New York in, in September of 1979 and, you know, living the dream and, and training and I, I work it out and training at the uh, um, Times Square gym, right. living uh, on my living on my trainer's couch at first, <sighs> and then once I started making a little bit of money and I could afford my own apartment, I got my own apartment. But the thing is, you know, it's like the, it's like uh, actors, the starving actor. You know, you hear about the starving actor all the time until he hits and pick. Right. Well, it's kind of like worse for me as a fighter. The fighting, us fighting, living from fight to fight, paying my bills, but I wasn't making no big money or anything like that. But you have a dream and a goal, and you do whatever it takes to get there. And then um, I got a shot uh, on uh, USA Cable, USA Network, which was only regional at the time. I don't think it was national. And that was March 12th of 1981. Okay. And... Um, uh, I knocked the uh, opponent out in the second round, and as as, uh, Don, Dun- as Don Dunphy said, it was an auspicious debut. So uh, I, I made a, a made a good, uh, you know, made a big mark uh, on my first network uh, debut. I made a, a you know a sensational knockout. That fight got me a fight the following month, April. I believe it was April second, nineteen eighty one, uh, on ESPN, and I was a co-feature. Uh, the main event was uh, uh, Vito and the Fermo, 
was his first comeback fight after he, uh, uh, he fought Marvin Hagler. And I was the semifinal. And I fought a guy named Al Ford. Al Ford was from Canada, uh, a lightweight contender at one time, who was known for going the distance. Nobody, you know, very, he didn't get knocked out, never knocked out or stopped. So I said, well, I'm going to knock him out. You know, very trick, very slick guy. And I dropped him in the fourth round, and he got up, and he just schooled me after that. I mean, I beat him. I was, my, my youth and enthusiasm and right. pressure put on was too much. But he put me to school. He taught me so much, you know, and I went the distance. And because I was impressive in that fight, the networks and CBS is talking about getting back into the boxing world, and they want to showcase the lightweight. Oh, man, I hate the gender knot. You know what I mean? Yes. Could have been in the other division and want to be lightweight. So I get my first network television fight, May 16th of 1981. And because what they're doing, they're doing a lightweight tournament. So the top 10 guys, after I beat L4, they got me into the top 10. I was number 10 in the world. And they were going to showcase a, a tournament showcasing the top 10. And my first fight is against the number six contender, uh, Jorge Morales from okay. uh, Las Vegas uh, via Puerto Rico. And big puncher. Nobody wanted to fight the guy. Uh, we took the fight because, we, yeah, I like the guys who are going to stand in front of me because we felt that I, I, that I was going to be the strongest, stronger lightweight, you know, bigger puncher. And so May 16th of 81, as for the North American, he's the North American champion. And I fight him in uh, upstate New York uh, and uh, at the Concord Hotel. And I stopped him in the ninth round. Well, that, that made me a star. I made right. me a TV star. You know, and, and people don't understand that. Po- I didn't even understand that at that time. But the power of television. Right. I was exposed to over you know, 60 million people domestically. Over 100 million people worldwide have the capability of, of getting, you know, network television. Exactly. Now, yeah. now, they talk about people doing pay-per-view. Pay-per-view has it's, it's 30 million homes capable. If you get a 2% buy rate, which they consider a success, that's only half a million people. So the visibility factor is less. But, you know, being on network television expo- exposed me to, you know, 10 million people at one time. So it just it was incredible. The casual fans, right? You had the yeah, casual exactly. fans. I wasn't like one that you know the, knew the whole boxing, how we judge scores. You, you were, you had the charisma, and you, you were the days before even I guess the WWF got to the point where it got in its level because people love people with charisma. People love people that were showmen in those days in boxing. There were a lot of them, and you were one of them for sure. And that's what sells, and that's what gets you the opportunity to get the bigger fights, right? Absolutely. You know, you got to be, first of all, I had a fan-friendly style. <laughs> and that's what they wanted to see. And along with, you know, my myself, but along with Tito uh, Camacho, along with Aaron Pryor, uh, you know, that made Ray Leonard, Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns. Yes. You know, it, it, you know, because before that, ABC was the only network that was showing fights. And they did it one a quarter, so it was like four fights a year. Here... It was on every other, every one month a month, and it became twice a month because it was so popular. So, it, boxing certainly came into the mainstream, and the networks, but the mainstream. And so, then you also people had, you know, had a, I had a story. I wanted to win the world title for my father. So, people bought, you know, uh, jumped, you know, hooked onto that. And you know, and I think that was it again. Having a good story, being fan friendly style, that that that's what you know gave me the opportunity to become a 
a boxing star, so to speak. And then from there, then you cross over because a lot of our sports stars cross over to other culture, you know, the entertainment culture. It's just because you become part of the culture of America. And and fortunately, I was able, I was fortunate to be one of those people who was able to do that. So I'm very, very blessed that, that, uh, you know, again, the networks wanted to showcase the fights and they wanted to showcase the lightweights. So it's interesting when you brought up life after boxing because of your character and because people, millions of people all over the world knew who you were, that opportunity led to opportunities after the sport's over. And and that and you think about when you talk about all the names in boxing in the 70s and 80s, and the sad thing about it is we can't talk about that today. And, you know, and I think that if you look at even Tyson was probably the last to really, you know, really people talked about boxers. And so you had that name you had that look so what happened to you after boxing did you know what you were going to do for sure no no i only wanted to be a fighter you know that's all i wanted to do no i never i knew i but also knew this that it was a short-term career i knew it was uh my style of fighting was not made for a long career i was smart enough to understand that and I also knew there's other things in life i wanted to pursue i just didn't know what exactly but the thing about the wonderful thing about boxing or any sport i was able to parlay whatever I accomplished there, into another career. Um, I was, from 1983 on, I was starting to be represented by the William Morris Agency. And Morris, William Morris was the, was the biggest talent agency in, in the country. And I was represented for you know, personal appearances, endorsements, and uh, I was getting opportunities to do, uh, like, uh, cameos in, in different TV shows and movies. But I was never able to take advantage of it because I was in training camp all the time. So when I when um, in 1984, uh, Sylvester Stallone's company approached us about doing my life uh, a movie about my life for TV, I was you know we were I was flattered. My agent at the time pushed for me to read for myself. Agent pushed for me to audition by myself. So I uh, I was very flattered by that, and I I didn't know that uh, that I. Uh, but I didn't know at the time, you know, I, well, you know, anything about acting. But I just knew, like, you know, being in front of the camera and, and you know, the camera don't punch back. You know, right, right. the worst thing happens. Is, the worst thing happens is take two. So I mean, well, you know, I did it, and they said, "Wait a minute, you could act. You could really do this." I did it again, and they said, "Wow, wow, you know, you could act." I said, "I'm not acting. I lived this." You know, but they offered me the role. They offered me the role to play myself in, in a TV movie. And I wasn't able to do it because I was training for my last fight against the rematch against Swimming Stone Bramble at that time. Okay. And so I just, but it, I, I got hooked. I said, man, the camera don't, the worst thing that happens is take two, the camera don't punch back. And <laughs> I said, I lost, I had lost a lot for the fight game. I had lost a lot for the fight game. And I was looking for something else. So I, I told my agent, I want to pursue this. I want a chance to do it. And he said, well, if you're, if you're really serious, you got to, you know, you got you to move out. You got to come to L.A. I said, well, I figured that's not a good idea, you know. When I moved to New York, when I wanted to be a fighter, and then if you're going to be in the entertainment business, you've got to go to L.A. Because, you know, the old saying, if you're going to go fishing, you got to go to the water. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And um, so I did. I moved out there in June, June of 1985, and I was out there for 30 years. I just moved back to Youngstown past November. And all it means is I'm going to be based here now. It's like after I won the title, and I lived in New York. After I won the title, I didn't have to be in New York anymore, live in New York. I was based in Youngstown, lived in Youngstown, and I was traveling from Youngstown, you know, traveling, training yeah. camp, or wherever I had to go. Same thing with business. I'm based here now, but 
for me, over the last 10 to 12 years, people I've been dealing with for independent financing and things like that are all from New York and Washington, D.C. So it made sense to come back. I was waiting for my, my youngest to go to off yes, college. <laughs> and that's why I came back. So I'm back now. I'm, I'm back in the Youngstown area, and I'll be commuting back to California or wherever I got to go from here. So, Ray, what uh, parts did you have in acting? Because uh, I don't know. And, and for our listeners um, out there, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've done 18 films. I've done off-Broadway stage, a lot of TV. I've done, I did a remake of Body and Souls, the old John Garfield film. To okay. me, it was the greatest boxing movie ever made. It was 1948, John Garfield. Well, I put my company, I produced it in, uh, for MGM. In 1998, it came out, 1998. So, Body and Soul. Um, I did Turn of Face, a film we shot here in Youngstown in 2000. Based on a true story, I played a cop, and a friend of mine who was a cop was one of these after one of his cases. I've done Red Belt for Dave Mamet, Red Belt uh, that you know a couple years ago, uh, worldwide distribution. I did a, I did a movie in 1992 that is a cult classic. People, everywhere I go, people who've seen the movies, that's the funniest movie I ever saw. It didn't get the distribution that it should have. I'm going to tell you the cast in a minute. And, you know that. and now it's been re-released re- on Blu-ray and DVD. It's called The Search for One-Eyed Jimmy. If you did it, trust me, it's the finest movie you'll see. And it was me, Nick Turturro, Colton McCallany, oh. and Mike Bottoluco. With the four guys going around the neighborhood looking for our friend One-Eyed Jimmy, who disappeared. But here's the cast of characters we come across. John Turturro is a character called Disco Bean. He's back in the 70s. He was doing. He was rehearsing for quiz show at that time. He came to give us a couple of days. Sam Jackson. Oh Sam my! Jackson, oh my! But plays plays a, a a character from who's stuck in a, a time warp. He thinks he's in Vietnam still. He was doing shooting Jurassic Park. He flew back to give us a weekend. Um, Steve Buscemi is a co-star. Steve Buscemi had just won a Sundance Award for the best upcoming actor. He did a movie called In the Soup. At one Sundance. Okay. It was his first film after that. <laughs> um, Jennifer Bills came in and gave us a weekend. She was, you know, Jennifer Bills from Flashdance. Yes. Uh, now, here's a, here's a guy who played One Eye Jimmy. He had one scene, the end of the movie, he stole the movie. And now a major, you know, star, Sam Rockwell. Oh, Sam my. Rockwell. You know, Confessions of a Confused Mind, whatever he did when he played Chuck Barris. Yes. Uh, also, The Way, Way Back. He did a movie couple last year. It was Way, Way Back. I mean, he was he came in and gave us one scene and became a major star. So this is a cast we did. We shot all of us for less than a thousand, a hundred thousand, less than a hundred thousand dollars. That cast right there now be close to a fifty, sixty million dollar movie with just that cast alone. Wow. So, so that that was a good experience. But you basically were a working actor, and you're still a working actor, and right. you and you produce right. now as well. But right. w- yeah. But your philanthropic work in Youngstown. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What well, you're doing? Well, one thing I'm proud of. I, I just got back, and one of the things I wanted to do for a long time, I wanted to I wanted to create my own foundation, charitable foundation. Because I've seen some of the people do, and it's wonderful. And I just didn't know how to go about it. I've been wanting to do this for years. So finally, I come back, and uh, a friend of mine who's been working with me for years, she said, you know, let me look into it. 
she checked that and looked into it and came out and said, Ray, well, she, we got the articles of corporation. And, uh, and what's, what's your mission statement? They want to know what your mission statement is. I said, my mission statement is simply this. I want to help those in the Youngstown area. I want to keep it local. I want to help those here that can't help themselves, those who don't get government financing. To me, that's the most important. That's those who need assistance uh, of, uh, of corporate or individuals in the area. So, so right now we have uh, on our part of our charitable foundation is um, the, the Purple Cats, which this gentleman helps uh, young uh, young kids uh, who have physical uh, and psychological uh, problems, okay. and he gives them jobs. Gives them jobs. They have an actual job. They go on and, 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 and they work, and it's wonderful. I've done. I've been on the radio show. They have a radio show I've done. Uh, we're difference makers. My friend and former uh, teacher, one of my different father, Tim O'Neill, has a difference makers. Where we help, you know, with, with food and clothing for the poor. Um, and, of course, uh, then, of course, the Hope House. Hope House here in Youngstown does exactly that. It's fractured families hope. It's, it's about reuniting families as opposed to separating families. So it's, it's you know, they have to have a safe house to go to for the parents to work it out so the kids are in a safe environment. And they get no government assistance again. So these are the types of people we're trying to help out. That's great. And now, of course, yeah, in, in the St. Paul, uh, Paul um, Mission, downtown Youngstown, um, they do a wonderful job handing out food to the, to the homeless and the poor on a daily basis. They don't get government financing. They get assistance from local people. So I'm going to be helping them out. So these are the type of things we want to do. I mean, St. Vincent de Paul, St. Vincent de Paul. Yes, that's so great. They're wonderful. So anyhow, these are organizations. This is what I've done since I've come home, and this is what I'm looking to do. That's fantastic. With, um, yeah. yeah, along with creating, creating a film studio in downtown Youngstown. That's right. That's, yeah, that's, that, that's the big thing, another big project. Yeah, everything's big for Ray Boom Boom Mancini, who we're talking to today. So basically, you're building a film studio in downtown Youngstown for what reason? Right. Well, for to try to make Youngstown a destination point for 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 production. Look, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. We can give you everything Cleveland and Pittsburgh does at a better price. Now, the fact of the matter is, will major studios come to Youngstown? Probably not, because why? You know, they're looking for the major cities. Because when you have a cast and crew, you know, top-notch cast and crew, they need entertainment value, four-star hotels. We don't have that. Pittsburgh and Cleveland do, but. Independent films are right on. I'm perfect because independent films are looking for places that can give them a better price for locations. For, for, for you know, I don't need permits in town. I can get I get buildings for a dollar or for free. Uh, you know, the people here in Youngstown treating me well. So they've been so so wonderful to me. They've been a big part of my success. That whatever I'm trying to do here, they're willing to to, to give me every opportunity to do it and succeed. So we're trying to lure companies to come here. And to, to, we have to say, I'll give you everything Cleveland Pittsburgh does, except at a much better price. And you have to understand, downtown Youngstown, downtown Brooklyn, Lower East Side of New York, it's South Street in Philadelphia, it's the North End in Boston. Yet 10 minutes into our suburbs, uh, uh, the suburb, we have the rolling hills of Nebraska, where the flatlands of New Mexico, the green pastures of Washington State. Because why? We're in the business of illusion. That's entertainment, movie making. It's the business of illusion. Yes. We come to Youngstown and we, and we create delusions for you. That's, that's, that's great. And you also have a film project you're working on. Can you talk about that at all? Are you able to talk about? Yes, well, yeah. yes, yes. Right now, a movie called Monkey's Nest. 
It's a movie called Monkey's Nest, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 four storylines. One, we have a father, a single uh, father whose wife is deceased, raising a teenage daughter, seventeen years old, senior in high school. It's right before she and she's trying to break out on her own. She doesn't want to follow her father's rules. He's trying to keep her protected and, and, and you know to keep her in a world from a world that he infiltrates. He is he is connected. So we have the wise guy's uh, storyline. So you, have, you know we have the daughter, father and daughter storyline that's commercially viable always sells. We have the wise guy storyline that's commercially viable always sells. Or we have uh, the Romeo and Juliet storyline that always sells. But now the biggest point uh, that makes contemporary is that it takes place in the world of EDM. EDM is electronic dance music. Right now, electronic dance music is the number one genre worldwide, all over the world. Oh, wow. Electronic dance music. You know, they, my, my daughter goes to Ibiza. She's gone there for the last three years for the big uh, dance uh, carnival. They have a carnival in Ibiza. They come from all over the world to go there. In Vegas, they have, the, uh, they call it the you know, EDM circus. And they have rides, and it's a circus. It literally is a circus, and they have while well, the EDM uh, plays. And you know, so right now the kids, you know, electro, the, the DJs in the world of EDM are becoming as famous as the, the artists. So it's it's a it's an electric electric type of film. Uh, I'm very iconic right now. It's, you know, I'm excited about it. But it's it's a, it's the story of a father raising a single father raising a daughter, trying to keep her from the world that he infiltrates. She yes. comes, she meets a young man. That's in that world. Starts a, a love affair with them. Father's trying to keep it from that. Yes, and you know it's it's exciting. It's exciting. And Youngstown is perfect for it. Are you playing? Are you? Uh, do you have a part in this movie, Ray? I have a part. Yes, I have a part in the movie. And um, but we also right now we have Mickey Rourke. Uh, we have John Leguizamo. We have oh, Ice wow. playing and Russell Peters all attached to be in it now. We're looking now, finishing up our, our finishing up our financing to the, 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 you know, the close the deal, so I can close the deal with these guys. But those are the guys; they're all in it. They all want to do, want to be in it. So now we got to make sure we close the deal before they get another offer to go off somewhere else. <laughs> oh. That's always a Independent film is always, you know, you're, you're always working on it. You're always working on a high wire. Yes. You know, make the deal. So. So you're trying to raise the money. You're trying to raise money. Then once you have the money, you have to make sure you retain the actors. Well, of course. See, first of all, we have half the money. We have half the money, and we got people that want to come in. But you got to be able to make a pair of playoffs with actors. You got to make a pair of playoffs so they keep so they don't go off. But see, if this, and I've called on these these people are all friends of mine or or my producing partners. They call on markers. They all want to do it. They love the concept. They love the script. And uh, they're, they're, so now we just got to you know, and we're gonna we should have that money solidified the rest of the budget within the next within the next couple of weeks. So we're looking to start early April. We start shooting here in Youngstown. Well, I'm sorry, not early April. I'm sorry, early May. Early, uh, May. early May. Well, you're going to have to reach out to me if you want to promote some of this film and bring on some of the actors. I, I definitely will have you on in that actor for sure. And we can, uh, I appreciate so we'll, we'll, we'll stay, we'll, we'll, we'll stay, we'll stay, uh, in touch for sure. And, uh, it's interesting. I think it's great that you are going to give actors, especially in the Pittsburgh, Cleveland area, the opportunity to work more because again, Absolutely. It, it, because it's, it's happening. But then I heard some of the taxes of, uh, tax incentives in uh, Pittsburgh have disappeared. So this is a perfect time for you to do this, right? For sure. You know, it is. And, it's, and people understand there's a lot of talent in the area. <laughs> and, you know, there is, have, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people from Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Youngstown 
uh, all out of California. What we're trying to do is bring it back to them where they don't have to leave town. And, and all, you know, and the business has changed constantly. Now, digital download has changed the game. It's changed the game. Yeah. That's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. So you could do things from here. You don't have to be on the, you know, you could do locations right here. Like I said, it's the business of illusion. If people understood that, they're going to do very well. And a lot of actors, now, I, I haven't been seen, I, I know actors that I haven't seen in a casting agent in years. Because what you do, you film yourself and you send it in. It's all digital download now. So that's the game. And in the, the, the area, is everything to offer. I'm trying to make this the Chinichita, which is where Dino uh, Dino houses his studios now. But it starts Federico Fellini. They did all his movies there in the 30, 40s, 50s. Chinichita is right outside of Rome. And they come from all over Europe to film a Chinichita. Why? Because it has all the landscaping of everything it could be. It's, and they create illusion. They come from all over the world. They come from all over Europe to film there, and make it whatever they want to make. Well, you know, make it whatever city. So it's great. So that's what I'm trying to do with you, Youngstown. You got a lot of great ideas, Ray. Where's the best place we can find information on you? So our listeners that have been a huge fan of yours and not heard from you in a while, meaning because out in Hollywood you're busy doing so much stuff. Now you're out close, especially in the local area, but all over the world now. People can know where's the best place to find you, Ray. Well, you can find me, hit me up on my Facebook at Ray, Ray, uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Dot, uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. You go to my website, it's just RayBoomBoomMancini.com. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of attachments, you know, and that's that's the best way. RayBoomBoomMancini.com or um, or just or Facebook. That's that's the best way. Well, or you can also, on, tw- on my Twitter, I'm at Real Boom Boom. Real Boom Boom is on Twitter, so I mean, there's ways to hit me up. It will get to me. And when when it comes out, there'll be a big announcement in the low, in the tri-state area, and um, people will know. It, you know, people will hear about it because we're looking. There's a lot of talented people in Pittsburgh area. We'd love to get all the local people. All right, you, you you reach out to me and let me know, and we'll kind of promote some of the actors and the film once it's ready to be released and stuff. And I'm here for you. Okay, Ray. Thank Sound you. good? I'm very kind of you. Thank you so much. I'm very kind of you. All right, take care, Ray. Good talking to you, man. All right, see ya. Same here. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, tolltutor.net for more information. Twitter, tolltutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, tolltutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, Neil Haley. And uh, it's interesting, we get former Steelers, but also I have uh, more than just when I think former Steeler with this guy because uh, listeners out there might not know, I'm a huge Colorado Buffalo fan, and the teams that he played for, were my favorite uh, Colorado teams of all time because I used to live in Denver. So I'm a huge Bronco fan and Colorado Buffalo fan and Denver Nugget fan. So I'm excited to welcome the program, former Pro Bowler, uh, Super Steeler, in my, in definitely my opinion, uh, Chad Brown. Chad, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm fantastic. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing great. And and I, I want to just jump right into the days when we were talking off air about uh, going to the University of Colorado and how you know the 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 team was mediocre at best, but you knew something special was going to happen with this team, didn't you? I, I did. I did. You know, growing up in Southern California, um, you know, I was you know obviously I played football out there and I knew who. The players were who were very good uh, the years before me, and, and uh, Colorado came to California and had some success recruiting those guys. And I, I kind of knew that uh, Coach McCartney uh, was building something special out there in Colorado. So, as difficult as it was for me to leave the states, 
um, you know, to know I was going to be a part of building something special out there in Colorado, which is what we eventually did, won a national championship for consecutive uh, Big A titles during my time there. Um, you know, that that was the reason why I left California, because I wanted to, you know, be a part of building. So not go to some school that had this incredible track record of success, but go to a school where uh, I could build something and be, you know, be remembered as a, you know, a special class of guys who came in, and um, that's what we were able to accomplish in Colorado. Oh, you, you definitely were. And thinking about the story and thinking about the, 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 the amazing story of, of – of uh, the the first year where Colorado really came on the map, and you guys were rolling after that, the, the, winning and uh, and the sadness of that year, and the whole recruiting of LA players and stuff. Tell us that feeling, especially when you started winning, how it was, and then also the national stories that started happening, and Colorado finally on the map, for sure. It was you know it was a, obviously you know a very interesting time. You know, our coach, uh, his daughter. You know, ends up being pregnant by one of the players who later, you know, passes away from cancer. Yeah. I mean, so there was, a, you know, such, such, you know, interesting dynamics going on. Um, but, you know, I give our coaches a lot of credit. They're able to keep us focused to what was going on in the field. Um, the, you know, the passing the sows was something, uh, you know, that as a young guy, I think it was. Uh, kind of a, a galvanizing uh, thing for us, kind of coming together. And, you know, everybody talks about football teams being families, but we have something like that that happens to one of your brothers. Uh, it kind of pulls you together as a as a family, pulls you tighter together. And uh, we were able to use that um, incredibly, you know, sad, tragic thing to, you know, pull ourselves together, become a, you know, more cohesive team. And, uh, you know, like I said, we went out there and able to get it done. So, uh, very fascinating time at the University of Colorado, without a doubt, um, but a very successful time on the football field. Do you think that puts you guys on the map just because of the story of Coach McCartney and his daughter and, and the, the passing of Sal, meaning nationally Colorado went on the map, even though you know PR at that time was a lot different, but it was, just became this story and the story throughout the year that people started rooting for Colorado that didn't even know about Colorado at all, for sure. Well, there were a couple of things. You know, there was a Sports Illustrated article that came out, uh, I think, was my freshman year, kind of uh, relaying a lot of the uh, off-the-field issues that, you know, players had in, in Boulder. And, um, you know, the place of Boulder wasn't really ready to, you know, have all these players from around the country come come into it. And so it was also, you know, a growing up period for the program, uh, but also kind of a growing up period for Boulder to deal with some of its, you know, maybe racial issues in the past. So, uh, again, a very, you know, fascinating time. And, and for the public, as you're talking about, and people beginning to recognize the Colorado football program, you know, you you hear you read a sports illustrated article, then you you know you hear about the quarterback with cancer, then you know again the the head coach's daughters having that quarterback's uh, child. Uh, then we go out, you know, we beat Oklahoma and Nebraska, so that you know that was the reason that that time frame was the reason why folks began to recognize and hear about the University of Colorado and you know the program we were putting together out there. Your freshman year, you were hoping that we win that national championship, didn't you, Chad? That was such a special story year. You're like, you guys are so close for sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how it tends to repeat itself over and over and over again and that, you know, teams that are beginning to uh... – you know, move up in the ranking, so to speak, regardless of the sport, regardless of the level of sport. Sometimes they need to 
get to that stage or knock on the door a few times before they're actually able to go out there and, and get get the win done. So that uh, 1989 season, uh, which we were undefeated, we, you know, we lost Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. And once we got into the Orange Bowl and was playing a team like Notre Dame, you know, it became clear that they were at a different level than what we were as far as, oh, yeah. you know, mental toughness and, and makeup and that big game experience. We were so new to that stage. Uh, we weren't really able to go out there and, and get it done as well as they were. And, uh, you know, the next year we came back, so we beat Notre Dame the next year in the 1990 Orange Bowl uh, and got a national championship. But, you know, it, it's, it's funny because both teams very talented, but one team just a much more mentally tougher, willing to lay it on the line team than the team before, which thought, you know, we were good, and we were. We were undefeated, but we weren't uh, toughened up as you needed to be to win a national championship. So the second year, you win the national championship, and uh, you had more of a role in your sophomore year, right, than your freshman year with the team. Yeah, I had a couple of starts uh, my freshman year, about half the season. Uh, my sophomore season, I was a full-time starter and really played uh, well in that 1990 championship game. I think I led the team in tackles, had a couple of pass breakups, um, caused uh, uh, the fumble, um, which we recovered, and then that fumble gave our offense really good field position. We went down and scored the game-winning touchdown uh, on that drive based on my cause fumble. And the, the fumble I caused was against uh, my eventual uh, teammate in Seattle, Ricky Waters, and the guy who actually ended up being a really good friend of mine. And you know, we still keep in touch to this day. You know, our kids are friends, and our wives are really good friends as well. Um, but uh, Ricky doesn't like me to talk about that very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bring up that story, and you know, he he was like, "I was so cl- we're so close to a national championship." Yeah, definitely. So, Chad, then two more years, you guys. As I, I'm trying to remember, isn't it funny? You know, I was a huge fan at that time, and I was younger then, and remembering completely. Uh, specifically those Colorado teams, the years you won the Big Eight, it just you, you stumbled a couple times to never get that shot again in your junior and senior year. Am I correct? You, yeah. you know, we, yeah, we we lost. Uh, you know, the the rest of the, of the conference, uh, we, we continued to win the conference, but other teams, you know, pulled ahead of us nationally. Uh, we stubbed our toe a couple of times in college football. If you stub your toe. Um, at the wrong point of the season, it'll really come back to, to hurt you. You know, my senior year, we had a good year going. Then we went out to Nebraska and lost on a Halloween night. I think we lost like 45 to 3. I remember that so, game still. <laughs> so yeah, good. yeah, that was, that was, you know, uh, we were, we decided to uh, put uh, Coy Detmer in the game at quarterback. He was a young freshman. Ended up being a very good player for, for Colorado and was a long time backup in the NFL, but Coy just wasn't ready for what that Nebraska defense brought that night. And I think he's, like I said, through five uh, first-half interceptions. It was an ugly night for the Buffalo. So, you know, stubbing your toe a couple of times in college football and your choice, your chance for a national championship are essentially gone. Like I, like I said, we won four consecutive Big A titles. Uh, I think in my four years there, I won something like 44 games or something. Uh, so, we, you know, a tremendous run. But, uh, yeah, the, the difference between winning a national championship and being somewhere in the top 10 or top 15 is really just one game in college football. And that razor's edge was sharpest and how you can try to maintain that for an entire season. Definitely. So now you're ready to play in the NFL. And uh, did you when before the draft, did you have a team you wanted to play for? That's a good question to ask, especially, you know, being from California. Did you have, a, did you have any hopes of certain teams you wanted to play for going into the draft? 
You know, it's uh, it's 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 so funny because you know there, there's certain you know obviously historic franchises like the Pittsburgh Steelers, like the Green Bay Packers. Before a kid, you know, coming up in California, you know, you you, you don't want grow up wanting to be a Steeler. You don't want to grow up and be a Packer um, until you walk in, in those doors. You realize how special of a place it is to to play, and it's such a historic place to play. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you can't help but have, you know, as a 21 year old guy. You know, thoughts of, you know, Miami or at the time the Rams were still in L.A. So, you know, those were the thoughts going through your head. Um, but there you know, it was also the, the, the reality of, of football, what teams were good, what teams weren't, and what teams uh, you know, played the style of defense that you thought you would be good at. And then, you know, there's the, the other part of it is what teams are interested in you, what teams yeah. think you fit their system well. Uh, I flew out to meet uh, with the Steelers before the draft, sat down and had dinner with Marvin Lewis, um, it was a gr- it was a great meeting. I really enjoyed Marv, um, but you know, again, from a West Coast perspective, you know Pittsburgh was uh, a completely different slice of life than what I was uh, accustomed to. But uh, in the end, it, it ended up being you know, a complete perfect fit. Um, I doubt I would have been able to play as long as I did in the NFL if I hadn't been for those, you know, foundational years, those first couple of years in Pittsburgh, really learning about pro football, having some great teammates, guys like Rod Woodson and Greg Lloyd and guys like that who kind of teach you the NFL game. It, definitely, Chad, and, and having that experience of playing for the one, uh, that storied franchise. When you play for the Steelers, you stay a Steeler forever, even though you played for all these other teams. I probably surprised you by pushing the whole Buffalo thing, but that's me. I, I, I marched to a d- different beat of drum because that's my one of my favorite teams, too. But really, always a Steeler. When people probably see you down the street when you visit Pittsburgh, they just remember your days of the Steelers. And it's just truly people in Pittsburgh live for this team and and I'd say that's probably about the Packers and a few other teams that it's constantly been that day since the Roonies for sure and uh, that's the excitement of playing and it's like almost like a college atmosphere right playing for the Steelers well you feel like you're part of you know football royalty you know I, you know I was a Seahawk I was also a Patriot uh, Patriots have obviously had a lot of uh, success um, but I think folks in the in that, in that New England area don't necessarily grow up like kids in Pittsburgh grow up where, you know, as a kid, they wore Steeler bibs. You know, they slept on Steeler sheets. You know, they, every Christmas they got some kind of Steeler paraphernalia. So it's a it's a different experience, uh, I think, as far as being a Pittsburgh Steeler fan than, you know, I would say uh, outside of a couple other, you know, kind of iconic uh, franchises than, than any other team. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguar fans or the Atlanta Falcon fans just don't have that same depth of of love and the interwoven connection between the city and the team and the team and the city that the Pittsburgh Steelers have with the city of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I'm, my, when I came back to the Steelers in 2006 in the 14th year of my career, I lived uh, downtown in a little corporate apartment. So I would always walk around downtown, you know, just to kind of see what was going on or whatever, grabbing some groceries. And, you know, having left 10 years before to come back 10 years later and to see, you know, at every single bus stop, 
there's always somebody in Pittsburgh Steelers gear. Yes. You know, whether it's a, 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 it could be a woman in an umbrella, it could be a guy in a Steelers sideline jacket, it could be an older guy in a sweatshirt or a hat. There's always somebody in Steeler gear. There's always somebody in Steeler merchandise. It's a, it's a fascinating connection. I think it's just like, like I said earlier, just such a part of identity of the city that, uh, you know, I, I, it, very few other NFL teams could ever even hope to have that kind of connection with their fans. Now, it's interesting because I interviewed LeVon Kirkland. I'm reminiscing and remembering things. It's funny how I'm able to do that. We look at the years that you went and played at Pittsburgh. Again, your last year, you had one more year, I think, right after the Super Bowl year. So you got to experience some huge success into one AFC championship game that you lost that was the most disappointing thing in the world to getting to the Super Bowl the following year. So those two years were unbelievable with the Steelers, weren't they? Because you really brought the Steelers back. I credit that 90s team for what 2000 did, in my opinion, meaning it brought back the Super Steelers, in my opinion. Just growing up, I remember the 90s team very well. Well, you know, it was a kind of a, a, a perfect storm for, you know, for me to go to Pittsburgh at, uh, you know, a time when Dick LeBeau, Marvin Lewis, and Dom Capers and Bill Cowher oh, are kind yeah. of you know, really starting to, you know, focus and, and, and build up that, that zone blitz style of defense uh, that was, you know, had a number of different roles that, that I could feel uh, to be able to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers at the same time that, you know, they bring in a Kevin Green. So I'm a pass rusher. I get to, you know, work on the other side of this guy and watch what he does all the time. I get a chance to play with Greg Lloyd. Um, you know, in my mind, you know, with the baddest man in football at that time, really taught me and got me to understand the, the you know, the physical intimidating nature of, of football and how that's really Steeler football. And that's the way we're going to play football here. So to come in as a rookie and have that guy teach me, that was amazing. At the same time, you mentioned a guy, LeVon Kirkland. Uh, LeVon was just a year ahead of me. So we're both kind of soaking up this experience yes. together and really growing together. Uh, and LeVon and I were inseparable in meetings and on the field. So, you know, it literally, you know, Marvin Lewis treated, you know, LeVon and I as, as one. You know, if one had to stay extra for something, then both of us had to stay extra. You know, Kevin and Greg were older guys. They got to go in and, you know, not stay after practice, but LeVon and I were out there with Marvin getting extra work done. So it was it was a really, you know, kind of a perfect storm of, of events. The coaching staff, uh, you know, the players I got a chance to play with, and, and, and you know, uh, some lucky breaks along the way. And, yeah, to your point, we were able to kind of bring the Steelers back and develop um, some of that consistency, that consistent playoff team always competing for the Super Bowl kind of mindset back to the Steelers. And it's never left since then, in my opinion, for sure. I mean, eight and eight set, and then they're back rolling again, winning again. So that's that's the nice thing. I mean, the day we don't see many six and ten, four and twelve years, and that's great. <laughs> that would be kind of really boring in this city because this city would just shut down. But uh, interesting when you talk about the linebackers you played with. Wow, I mean, just imagine a linebacking core like you guys. There's not many like this out there. Uh, you know, I think that linebacker core, according to NFL Films, was the, uh, I think, were the seventh best linebacking group of all time. Uh, I think they had number one, that 70s group of, of Jack Ham and Lambert and those guys, was the, that earlier Steeler you know, linebacker group. But the 
solid defense, uh, the three, four style of defense, particularly that zone blitz, you know, was really a linebacker centric defense. And there's been, you know, once Kevin left and Jason Gilden steps up and he fills that yes. role, uh, you know, so there's, there's always, they've always got, you know, guys coming in, you know, a Joey Porter over the last couple of years, a James Harrison. So there's, there's always guys who can be featured in that defense and really, you know, take advantage of that and, and play some, you know, dominating physical defense uh, in that style. And I was, you know, very happy to be a part of that group. Uh, like I said, if I hadn't come in, to the Steelers at that time with that group, I doubt I would have been able to play 15 years. But those guys taught me the work ethic, the you know the intensity, the physical nature, all that kind of stuff you need to last for a long time in the NFL. So after that, Chad, you, you leave the Steelers as a free agent and go play for the Seattle Seahawks. And people don't remember that because again, the Seahawks weren't that good at that time, and you had two Pro Bowls you earned. So you continued to play at a high level, but you kind of disappeared in a way. Kind of like I, I, it's funny. I was talking to uh, Norm Johnson about you know he 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 went. First, the Seahawks, I always consider him a stealer. But, you know, it's it's funny. When you leave our team, we'll cheer, we won't cheer for you, but we'll, we'll always consider the respect that, hey, you're a stealer regardless. But your days of the Seahawks, so you, you, you still played at a pretty high level, and you got the end, the end of your career with the, with the Patriots. Did you guys win the year you played for the Patriots? I, didn't, I don't remember that. For sure. No, no. Uh, it's, you know, the funny – life's always so funny sometimes. Um, I left the Seahawks in 04, ended up playing with the Patriots in 05. Well, in 05, uh, I visited the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, during the free agent times. Uh, I visited uh, New England, and uh, I live here in Denver. I spoke uh, a lot to the Denver Broncos, and I had a chance to return back to the Seattle Seahawks. You know, it's funny. I go to New England. They had just come off of back-to-back Super Bowls. We ended up losing to Denver in the playoffs here in Denver. The Steelers end up beating Denver in the championship game, and then they play the Seahawks in the Super Bowl and, and beat the Seahawks. So it's just kind of funny how life works out sometimes. Um, you know, I had a choice to go to, like I said, all four of those teams. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I I suppose I, I chose wrong, although I really enjoyed my experience in New England. Bill Belichick is just such an amazing coach, and I learned a tremendous amount while I was there. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, I missed that Super Bowl in 2005 just because, you know, I, I want to be a Patriot instead of being a Steeler. <laughs> but so, and 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 as I look at this, you went back to the Steelers again. So you really played for some storied franchises. I can't believe you say the Seahawks are now because of where they are today. So you could say, "Hey, I played for winners," and that's it's nice to say, especially in your career and in college. So you knew about winning. So your career ends in football. What's life after football? Do you, you keep winning, Chad? That's the important thing in in, in the game of life. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, I've been so incredibly lucky in my entire uh, playing career. Going back to Pop Warner, when uh, championships in Pop Warner, my high school team in in California, we won 32 games in a row, back-to-back, you know, championships as well there, national championship in Colorado, you know, played for the Steelers, played for the Patriots, played for the, you know, the Seahawks. You know, I was part of that 2007 uh, Patriots team that was, you know, the almost perfect season in the losing in the Super Bowl to the Giants. So uh, lots of winning. And, uh, you know, at the same time, when you retire football, 
life's not over. You still got to go out there and, to your point, win some more. And that's what, you know, I try to do. I try to take the discipline and the lessons of the game uh, off the field and apply them, you know, to my life now. Hopefully, hopefully for the next 45 years, I'll be working these football lessons into real life. That's, that's tremendous. And now, what are you currently doing, Chad? Well, I've got a couple of companies that I run here in Colorado. I've got a shipping company. Um, we have a couple of different branches of it right now. Ship Your Reptiles is one of our websites, and Ship Your Aquatics. We specialize in shipping things that you can't really show up at a you know FedEx Kinko's and say, here, I want to ship this fish or this snake to my friend. So we facilitate uh, animal shipping for hobbyists and business all over the U.S. Uh, most weeks we do you know, somewhere between 500 and 750 next day airs a week for customers, uh, you know, whether, again, they're hobbyists or there's someone just relocating and moving across the country to get their animals across the country or for breeding businesses both in the aquatics and the reptile world. Uh, it's a fun job. keeps us on our toes. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a pretty intense thing, particularly when we have bad weather like we're having right now where, you know, shipments are delayed and, you know, folks need their animals. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and like I said, I always take the lessons of the field and try to put them into action at the business. And are you doing anything else, uh, some uh, commentating and stuff or some media work? I, I, somehow it said in Wikipedia you did that before. Have you done some work? Yes, yes. Well, you know, like, uh, you know, like every retired football player, you know, you can't help but, uh, you know, somebody puts a microphone in your face, you, <laughs> you end up talking to <laughs> well, him. Well, you're really, well, uh, you're very good. So that's why I said that. I, yeah, definitely. You know, I would, I would say I've been at this about three years now, and I started off as a very, you know, even as a kid, I was a quiet, shy person, and I saw the media opportunities to, as a chance to kind of get some personal growth going and, you know, kind of grow up a little bit. I figured if I want to get into coaching, if I can talk better, I'd be a better coach. You know, my business, the better communicator I can be, the better business owner I can be, uh, the better parent I can be. You know, yes. so I really uh, embraced this opportunity to, you know, become a little bit more of a media personality. I've had a lot of fun with it and some, some success. This last year I called some games for, for ESPN3. Uh, I do a lot of games for Westwood One Radio, the national radio feeds for some college football and some NFL football, lots of local uh, Bronco stuff here in Denver, and uh, I'm on the radio pretty much every day as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a full, you know, life doing the shipping, doing the media stuff, and, you know, dad, husband, and, you know, dog owner as well. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Chad, when you said this, because I could tell you're well-trained. An easy interview. When you interview somebody, it's always on, does interviews, interviews others, is in the media. It's like, oh, this is this is a cakewalk for us, and we could have a great conversation. I know it. And I was a shy kid, too, growing up. So it's very interesting how we kind of figure out our niches later in life and are, are more comfortable speaking in front of people. But it's, it, now I've only done a few talks in front of people, but now because I've done so much radio and TV, I'm, I'm comfortable. And I say, hey, I, give me 3,000 people to talk to. Because I was a teacher as well, Chad. So it's like, Bring it on, but it's amazing how we get our life experiences for sure. So you, I remember always the reptiles with you with the Steelers. You had a lot of them. How many do you have now in your house? Well, you know, we had a we had a fire in uh, late 2011, and we lost the the entire snake collection in oh. the fire. We. Huh. Yeah, we lost about 3,000 reptiles in the fire. There was also several hundred eggs, 
still in the incubator to hatch that year. Uh, it was it was a crushing, crushing blow, really. Um, for 20 years, I built that business, uh, and once I retired in 2007, I was really able to move the business forward. We were producing thousands of animals a year, shipping and selling animals all over the world, uh, like I said, having a tremendous amount of success. But uh, that fire ended that, and uh, as heartbreaking as it was to not rebuild the business, uh, my partner and I decided that would be best and for us to really focus on some of these other things that we do. Uh, I talked about the shipping company. Yes. We also have some companies that you know, sell products in the reptile world and design products for the reptile and the pet world. Uh, we've also got another company that's a, essentially like a reptile or an online reptile newspaper and a classified site. So the Reptile Report is that website, reptilereport.com, and also the Reptile Report Marketplace is our classified site for, you know, buying, selling, trading reptiles. We are going to continue to replicate these concepts and other animal hobbies uh, as, as time goes on. So, yeah, we, we, we were still involved in the, in the, in that reptile world, just no longer as breeders of reptiles, no longer physically, you know, keeping thousands of reptiles at our facility anymore. Sad day, you know, bad day, uh, really kind of ended, uh, that phase of my life, unfortunately. Um, but as football has taught me, phases of your life are going to end and you got to be able to move forward. So while I can no longer play football, I can certainly be on television or radio talking about football or coaching football or, you know, doing those kind of things. And while I no longer breed reptiles, uh, here myself, I can help others who breed reptiles, get them safely to their customers. I can help them advertise their animals, talk about their animals, sell their animals. And also we're still involved in the hobby, but just in a slightly different way. Do you own any of your own of your own or you stopped to that too? Cause you that was what you know, I've got a I've got a gecko that I've had for 20 years that uh, actually is in a cage in my workout room. I've had this gecko for forever, and right now in my office I've got one uh, lizard. It's a kind of an oddball, kind of rare lizard from Cuba. They're called uh, false chameleons. Kind of looks like a more traditional chameleon, but it's not actually a chameleon. So it's a not something you would see in most pet stores, kind of a more unusual animal. And then I've also got a 500-gallon fish tank here in my office that I'm looking at right now that, uh, you know, I'm turning into a slice of the Amazon currently. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, it's great talking to you, Chad. Best place we can find information on you have a bunch of different websites. I call you an entrepreneur and the media guy. That's kind of me, but not to the scale of Chad Brown. But I hope to someday, entrepreneur-wise, be to the scale of Chad Brown so I continue to work hard to build my tutoring and consulting business, and I do some social media and branding for companies. So it's awesome to talk to somebody that took life after football and is success off the field as well as he was successful on the field, Chad, for sure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And where can we find best info for you? Is it to go? Okay, so you can you can find me on Twitter at Chad Brown ninety four. Um, and again, you can check out the Reptile Report at uh, thereptilereport dot com. Our classified site is the Reptile Report Marketplace dot com. And if you got some shipping needs, shipyourreptiles dot com or shipyouraquatics dot com. You're a busy guy. You really are. I am. That's good. That's good. And and, and that's because you're used to the training when you were in sports. I talked to one other person I think as busy as you. uh, uh, Bill Cartwright is a busy man and and the uh, former NBA star. He works as hard as you do. 
for sure. He's constantly doing tons of stuff. And that's good because you guys see you want to be successful in the entrepreneur field as much as you were on the football field or basketball court. Well, so good talking. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and the same lessons apply. You know, hard work, you know, getting after it, being harder working and better prepared than the next person. You know, that, that applies in football or basketball or in this case, you know, business. Exactly. Good talking, Chad. Thanks again. All right, take it easy. All right, take it Thanks. Bye bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.